Hello, I'm Ashling and welcome to Zevo Talks, a new podcast where I get to chat to risk takers, thought leaders and great people making change. So we're continuing on with our discussion on wellness. This week we're going to be talking about mental health. Ireland has one of the highest rates of mental health illnesses in Europe, with 18.5% of the Irish population recorded as having a mental health disorder. Along with this number, there are those who are still suffering in silence. Today we are joined by Shane Carthy, Dublin football player who is breaking the stigma surrounding mental health in the Irish GAA scene and the wider community. Thanks so much for joining us today, Shane. Thanks very much for having me in. So um, you have talked very openly about your story and it's something that's very inspiring and it's a huge benefit to Ireland, um, a country that is struggling to understand the importance of talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. I think we're a country of talkers, but we don't talk about how we feel. Yeah. So could you first um, start by talking about your story a little bit and telling us a bit about it? Yeah, so um, I'll, br- I'll bring you straight back to kind of my primary school days where um, it all would have started for me in Port Marnock, where I, where I grew up in, uh, and still live to, to this day. Um, it would have had, I have three sisters uh, and both my mum and dad, and they were hugely supportive of all of us. Um, and, you know, one thing in particular that they threw us into was sport. Um, and that was no different for me. You know, I took up Gaelic soccer, hurling, you name it. And add to that, I guess, from a very young age, I was relatively talented at anything that I threw my hand at. Um, and straight away, you know, from from a young age, just put me up in the pedestal, this kind of limelight figure that I didn't want to be on. I really, really enjoyed all types of sports and being okay at them, you know. But I didn't want to be this kind of pedestal-like figure. But nonetheless, because of my talent in these sports, that's where I found myself, you know. So from a very young young age, that's where I started off. So my transition then into secondary, secondary school was seamless. Like, you know, it would have been... A thing for a lot of people it's a very difficult transition you know going from primary to secondary a, a new change of scenery new kind of group around you and because of my popularity amongst friends mainly through sport um you know it was seamless for me and i would have continued along the trend of playing all types of sport in particular gaelic football and i would have been involved in in, in uh, the dublin teams right right the way up in development teams um all the way up until under 16s where there comes a point then you need to kind of choose i was whittled down to gaelic and soccer at that time uh, both playing at a very very high level and my decision was um obviously to go for Gaelic football so that's where my kind of Gaelic football career would have really started I guess um at a minor grade and it would have been where I met a man who was very very pivotal in my story today in the shape of Desi Farrell who was our minor manager at the time and you know he gave me my first shot at a real kind of Dublin career um and fast forward and then you know it would have brought me into the middle of fifth year it would have been what would have been my second year of minor football and it would have been the, the start of, you know, what I didn't know then, what I now know was depression. Um, and I would have went through that cycle for two years, two years of my own completely within myself. And for friends, family, teammates, you name it, like I, I kept it within myself because I go back to the kind of the pedestal like figure. And especially when, you know, you're out in the public eye and, you know, people see you as this idyllic figure living a, a great life in front of 82 and a half thousand people every couple of weeks in, in, in Crow Park, you know, um, I just thought that I had to keep this in and I should have been living an idyllic life, but I wasn't. I couldn't make sense of it in my head and the things kind of got gradually got worse. So much so that coming to the, the end of the two years that unfortunately had uh, thoughts of dying by suicide. Um, and again, this was a hugely scary thing. I didn't want to feel this way, but I couldn't get away from that kind of thought that was inevitably in my head nearly every single day coming towards the end of the two years. So that would have brought me into then... Um, what had transpired then I would have went in and had a panic attack and 
went into St. Patrick's Mental Hospital where I spent 11 weeks, um, 11 very, very tough weeks, um, but a huge turning point in my life and where I am today. Um, and I guess, you know, long story short, fast forward in five years now, nearly six years, um, that I've come out the other side and I've, I've as you said, you know, spoken quite publicly about it um, on all different types of platforms. And it's just the thing for me that whatever I went through, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And I, uh, I, I, I vouch that every single day, and that's why I speak about it publicly. And that's why, you know, this pedestal-like figure that was seen so many years ago and still to this day, I can I can capitalise on that kind of in a positive manner in terms of, like, look, I'm this guy, as you still see up in this pedestal, even though I'm not, but some people see me in that shape, that, you know, I can say, look, I'm going through a difficult time, you know, so can you. And that, that's the kind of even keel that I want to put it on. So that's that's kind of in a short condensed <laughs> period i would say um uh, as best i can that's that's the journey of, of my story and the two years that you said you were kind of suffering in silence you weren't speaking mm-hmm. about how you were feeling was there a change in your mood like towards your family and your friends did they notice anything that was a bit different or no i i, I guess from the from the start you know as i said it was quite you know sporadic at the start in terms of how i was feeling when i was feeling down um, and my escape my kind of cope mechanism at that time inevitably was football um, and that was what kept me going and the, the fear of actually letting someone in and letting them know exactly what was going on for me um, you know, drove me to kind of put up this poker face, this mask and, you know, keep it within myself. So right to right to the very, very end, nearly, you know, a year and a half, two years on, it was only towards the very end that, you know, I, I began to show cracks and uh, cracks began to appear, the poker face and the mask wasn't as strong as it once was. And was it a fear of judgment because often in, in like the stigma I guess surround, surrounding men's mental health especially is that you know they're told to man up and yeah. and they feel like maybe they can't talk about their feelings was mm-hmm. it a fear of judgment or and, and like how did you go from that kind of fear to then talking about it so openly and and not having a fear about talking about it I guess w- w- when you say w- why why I maybe kept it in was that exact thing of judgment. You know, um, as I said, I was perceived to be living this idyllic life, and and quite frankly, I was. I was I was living a very good life. I was popular amongst friends. I was, as I said, you know, involved in the Dublin setup and things in my life. You know, gradually was on an upper curve, but little did people know internally, I was I was crumbling. And you know, the conversation that I was having with myself, the internal dialogue that you know, I'm. I should be living this idea of life. People are seeing this, but I, I, I'm in in reality, I'm not. And you know, I w- I would have said like, if I would have said to someone, you know, I'm going through a really really difficult time. This is what's going on for me. I would have said, look, you're lying. You you know, I- if I was the outside looking in, I would have thought people said I was lying. So that fear factor of that judgment, and especially as you said, with males in particular, when I'm when I'm in a a masculine uh, setting, you, you know, every, nearly every second day with with uh, thirty plus players in the dressing room. If I if I came out and said, "Look, I'm I'm going through a really difficult time," I just thought it was going to be laughed at, and that that was the the reality of what I was facing, you know. Yeah, and you said then you had your panic attack and mm-hmm. you you woke up in pots, um, and you were there for eleven weeks. What was the support like afterwards, um, that you received? Yeah, so it, it particularly in St. Pat's, you know, it was it was the thing of no one actually knew that I was in there. Um, for the first couple of weeks and I was still toying with the fact because I was in a very very busy under 21 championship campaign with the Dublin footballers and I would have been just after the Leinster final I would have been awarded man of the match and in between that time of the Leinster final the All-Ireland semi-final which would have been our next match um, the panic attack has, uh, had ensued and 
I'd, I'd rented in St. Pat's, as I said, and it would have been a kind of couple of weeks there where I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to be here for too long. I might be able to come out and, you know, play the All-Ireland semi-final. And it was only when I started really dealing and facing up to the stuff that I had subsided for so many years that, you know, I, I very quickly realised, like, this is not a quick fix. And it was then that thinking of, okay, the media were then asking, I didn't play the All-Ireland semi-final, which we went ahead and won. And they were saying, look, will Shane Carter be back? Why wasn't he uh, playing today? And Desi had used a line initially that, you know, I picked up a knock in the in the Leinster final and that's why I wasn't there. And as I said, after the semi-final, I'd asked Desi to come back into the hospital. And I said, look, I want you to go public with this. I don't want any more lies. I don't want you to, to make excuses for, for what I'm really going through at this particular point. And as I said, I realised the lucky position that I'm in, that so many people will look up to me you know, in, in, in what I do in my life, that I can have a positive effect. And, you know, it was a massive weight off my shoulders when I had said to Desi, it wasn't an easy decision. I sat on it for a couple of days, you know, thinking internally, like, the pros and cons. And uh, obviously I came out and asked Desi to announce it publicly. And I was absolutely taken aback. It was only when I came out of St. Pat's because I was out of touch with social media and everything. I, I, I closed myself off from that. I was only there after the 11 weeks in St. Pat's. So I was absolutely amazed like as in people of all ages come up to me on the streets and message me on instagram twitter whatever it may be saying how brave i was and how much they uh, i've helped them and you know and that's what i'm saying you know i went through the deepest and darkest time in my life and i am hopefully you know helping people not get to that point in their life because i've spoken about it and normalize it somewhat in people's lives yeah i don't think we, we realize kind of the amount of people who are probably suffering in silence and who mm-hmm. don't speak about it. So yeah, that I think that's extremely brave and, uh, and a great move to make to come out about it publicly mm-hmm. and and not keep a lie going on. I guess. Was there any negative setbacks when you came out about it publicly? Like, did anyone kind of dismiss it or? Um, I I guess when I I really kind of came I I obviously came out public with it initially in twenty fourteen and. Uh, 2015 would have been where um, I would have started doing my first kind of public speaking events and kind of really coming out with it quite publicly. Um, that naturally enough, as you know, social media so many positives to it, but also has its negatives that I, I did get a bit of, um, I would say, hatred um, or I would say negative comments just to keep it in the best possible terms. Uh, th- there was, and you know, I, I had to realize that I was putting myself out. But I knew for every, you know, one negative comment, there was 99 positives to go with that, you know. So um, I, I just quashed it away and I didn't pay much attention to it. You know, as I said, these last five, six years, I've been, you know, 95, 99% of the, the, the positive comments have, have been absolutely mind blowing. And, you know, there is obviously going to be that negative kind of perception out in the public from whoever it is and that's absolutely fine I've, I, I've come to realise that within even the footballing world as well I'm quite used to um, that side of things so I, I, I just look at it as upon you know I'm helping so many people that I can just ignore the, the, the negative um, perception of the, the public and so did you start then by talking about it first on social media and then the public speaking and then you wrote your blog post, was it last year? Yes, yeah, yeah so I, I, I would have then had my first public speaking event. I would have came out at St. Pat's in, in, um, in August 2014, and it would have been um, the January of 2015 that I would have had my first public speaking event. Um, in between that time, I'd posted for World Mental Health Day and, and different bits and pieces, but no, nothing too much. So it would have been very much the first time that the public really would have heard my full story. Um, and the whole thing was that, you know, that had transpired. I'd come out and done a couple of newspaper interviews and radio interviews and uh, and whatnot. And then, as you said, it came to um, 
the the period of when I was deciding to write the blog. So I just uh, just last year I graduated from from DCU in my undergraduate, which was in sports science, and I was always planning to take a year out. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I've seen people taking a year out and get quite lazy in in their ways, and I didn't want to be like that. Obviously, I had sport there, but I was thinking, what else matters to me in my life? And obviously, that was mental health. And I was thinking, how can I actually capitalize on this year that I can m- get my message further afield? You know, I'm doing these talks in certain areas I- within the country to a certain amount of people at a certain time. So it's quite limited in terms of who I can get reach out to. So I was thinking, mental health, everyone's on social media. Everyone's a click of away from any anything at all on, on social media. So I was thinking, I'm going to write a blog here. Um, and it was it was a couple of months in the making. I had a, had a bit of a help with... Um, my uh, good buddy of mine in 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 Texaco service station where he was actually uh, where I work still. I met him there and I've stayed friends with him and he's a former journalist as well. So I was just bouncing ideas off him. I uh, I drafted up a couple of um a couple of drafts and we went back and forth. And once I was happy with it, I decided to then publish. I think it was December nineteenth, just last year, and um, was when I click click publish. And that was a. Uh, I was apprehensive, to, to be quite honest, and um, because as I said, I knew the reach, or I hoped that you know it would get the reach that inevitably did, and I was absolutely blown away by, um, the the reach that it did get. But I knew because it was out there in the public field, I guess, that it was out there to be, you know, again those positive and negatives, and people, you know, from social media aspect, they're they're more inclined to, maybe speak their speak their feelings I guess so I, I knew I was put myself out there yet again but I was very very happy to do so when I looked in the overall context of it and in your blog post or blog post you spoke about um your sister I uh, mm-hmm. was in Sweden yes and um kind of was, was she the first person that you kind of mentioned that something was going on to yeah so w- I would have been actually so um you know my old sister the, the reason why I maybe um would have confided in her a, a bit more than I did with my other mother two sisters, just her being the eldest and you know, um and the thing was just before I went over to her, um I had broken down in front of my mum and dad and and had said to them, Look, I'm I'm going through a really, really difficult time here. I couldn't make sense of it in my head. I didn't know what to say. I just I just had to say it and I think they were sh- they were seeing signs, they were seeing cracks begin to appear over the last couple of months previous to me telling them. And as I said, that their their then next step was, you know, whatever I was perceived to be hiding, that what they what they thought I was hiding, um, I go over to my sister in Stockholm, just after Leinster final, um, and maybe shed some light on uh, on what was going on for me. So it would be my mum and dad firstly, and then it would have been my sister. But I met her with the same news that I met with my mum and dad. There wasn't anything I was hiding. I didn't know what was going on. It was a massive cloudiness in my head that I couldn't make sense of. So, you know, I I'd, I'd confided in her as much as I did with my mum and dad. And, you know, that's, you know, the where it spiralled then into um, going at the same paths thereafter. When you went to St. Pat's, did they say that you are depressed or you're suffering with depression? How was that for you to kind of hear? I, gu- I guess it was, it was a massive relief, I guess. Um, when I had finally... When I was finally able to make sense of it, so I had a very, very busy couple of days. I met doctors, I met psychologists, I met nurses, whoever else it may be, and having conversations around what was really going on for me in in, in the previous uh, couple of years to this, and making sense of it. And I guess it was it, it was a difficult thing to hear, you know, and um, that you're depressed because I, I would have had that stigma around it, you know, being labelled, you know, there's a guy with depression. That's what I initially had thought, but 
when I really thought about it, I was like, there's a massive relief that I'm eventually tackling this and actually able to make sense of some of the thoughts and feelings that I couldn't make sense of for two years. So um, I guess initially there was that kind of, I've just been labeled of, of depression and I would have had that negative stigma behind it. But then when I started educating myself around really what was going on for me and mental health in general, I then, you know, it was that it, it, I, you know, took away that stigma that was attached to me at the time and was able to become a lot more comfortable with it and obviously thereafter come out publicly with it. And if you were to have maybe a bad day or, or you know, a bad week, mm. how would you, what would your coping mechanisms be? Yeah, so that, that was obviously one of the things that I would have been able to learn. So the whole integration back into society and how I deal with when I have a good or bad day. And I still have my good and bad days right up to today. I wouldn't shy away from the fact of that. And as I said, you know, I would have, I would actually refer to it as like my toolbox. I would have built up my toolbox and still learn things that work for me, what doesn't, whatever else it may be. And obviously top of the list is obviously physical exercise. I've spoken about it quite uh quite often that you know physical exercise the happy endorphins that you release after you know a, a walk a swim um, a match or whatever else it may be but then away from that I started building my toolbox I was thinking you know I can't always rely on physical exercise sometimes I will just have to you know give my body a rest so it would be something less strenuous like a you know a meal out with my friends going to the cinema playing a bit of pool with my friends or going for a walk listening to a podcast and um, doing a bit of cbt cognitive behavioral therapy you know all these different things which is less strenuous on the body but also giving me some sort of a relief when i am having these bad days so i've just essentially my my, my thoughts may not have changed they've obviously subsided somewhat in terms of the severity of them but i'm better able to manage them because i have all these tools i have the education around what works for me what doesn't so those would be the kind of tools that i've still building on to this day you know I've, I've learned so much about myself over the last five six years after coming out of St. Pat's so it's it's ever growing I guess. And when you were um, added to Jim Gavin's Dublin team in 2013 mm -hmm. do you think that the pressure of playing had an effect on your mental health or was it the opposite was it a release to play or a bit of both? Maybe? I, I guess it was it was a bit of both it would have been you know I only would have been 18 years of age. I was still in school, you know. Um, I, I talked to the lads, you know, um, only re very recently. I was talking to Kevin McMenamin about it, uh, another Dublin senior footballer, and he was joking, you know, I remember all those years back that, you know, when you were sitting there in the dressing room or we had a, we had a gym session in the morning, we showered up and we're going off to work or whatever, you were there in your school uniform, you know. <laughs> so it was, it was a very strange thing for them. And I guess it would have been that thing of, I was 18 years of age, I was I was still in school and people were coming to me when I was going into school. I was like, oh, where are we this morning? I was just training with some senior footballers. And it was a release for me. That training was always a release. It, it, it never would have been a, a pressurised environment. But I guess the pressure then of seeing the reaction of people. So I would have went into school and people would have been like, oh, he's just training with some senior footballers there. And that pressure of having to keep up that mask, that poker face, because as I said, the upper curve that my life was perceived to be going on grew even bigger as I as I was involved and luckily involved in 2013 and and thereafter you know yeah you had to be happy all of the time essentially going into school and exactly and sure. you can be in a bad mood yeah what, what what did I have to be sad about you know that's yeah. what people would have been thinking from the outside so as a country we've made fantastic steps in um introducing the topic of mental health and um, we obviously have a, a lot more to do mm -hmm. um where do you see the future in mental health in Ireland going and what changes do you think still need to happen? Well, I guess where I'd, I'd love to for it to be going is obviously the, the conversation becomes a lot more normalised. As you said, we've made massive steps and massive headway into normalising or destigmatizing mental health, but we've such a long way to go. 
um, I guess coinciding with that is, you know, the, the services, the lack of services. Now that we're beginning to speak, the services are so much, you know, so far behind. Um, you know, I've, I, I've chatted away to people that they've on a couple of months waiting list, you know, and I was lucky enough that I was given the support by the Gaelic Affairs Association that I could get into St. Patrick's Mental Hospital. But, you know, that that's a, that's a hugely financial burden on a lot of families and uh, and a lot that we wouldn't as a family be able to uh to head so i was lucky that i had the support there and it shouldn't be a thing of like you know people break their leg or, or you know and they go into the hospital and get the treatment straight away in my head you know you've a broken mind why shouldn't that be on the even keel of you know you go in and see on that day what is exactly wrong with you you know so in terms of funding and wh- whatever else the government needs to be to be doing to put it on that even keel of you know a generic hospital where people go in and when the flus or broken leg as i said it needs to be on that and those are a couple of the, the changes i guess that needs to be uh to be done and i was kind of brainstorming about this the last while and chatting away to people i was thinking when i was back in school you know in the middle of fifth year i was then you know thinking back what was i doing in fourth year you know a lot of people do fourth year it's a great year in terms of like you know de-stressing after the junior sir and having a bit of an easier time of it but you know you're, you're, you're going off to Glendalough you're going off and doing all these trips and whatnot and I was thinking why don't we have an education workshop there around mental health you know it's going to be you're coming into massive changes where people are going to be going into fifth and sixth year massive you know in their head massive decisions to make in their life where are they going to college what are they doing after and it's a massive massive stressful environment i would guess and why aren't we educating people i would say in secondary school around the subject of mental health we know we do geography history irish whatever else it may be why can't we have the subject of mental health and educate people you know they may not need it at that particular time in their life but they may may need it a couple of years down the line it's like oh yeah i remember that doing that module or whatever it may be and they have the tools there for when it does come to a head that they can deal with it there and then so those are the couple of things that i would say that that would need to be changed I guess because definitely if, if you had have had the knowledge to know kind of what depression is you might have recognized it earlier in yourself I guess do you think that is kind of down to anything in particular or I, I, I guess it, it, we could go back to even even the thing of like social media is a massive thing um, and I think everyone would agree upon there's so much pressure that you know in terms of as I said I, I post on social media because I, I know it's a massive platform that people everyone uses but it also can come across as a negative in terms of you know people posting up pictures of this one snapshot of their life where they are and perceived to be living this idyllic life and it, it's anything but but people seeing this one sh- snapshot picture who may be going through a difficult time are thinking why am i as happy as them why am i away on holidays or why am i there and why am i feeling this sort of way and you know beating themselves up so i guess that could be a contributing factor to the depression anxiety rising levels in the country and you know it would be a massive thing of obviously the the youth of today i'm not only talking about the youth but in general you know where where we're coming from from a social media platform i guess we need to maybe educate people around that in terms of how to actually deal with you know trolls you you, you would say on, on social media and, and ignoring that kind of filtered stuff that it's not reality you know it, it is not reality and um, you know getting your head around this life you're living on put it into perspective you know you have a family friend whatever it may be a lot a lot of positives you don't need to take that one snapshot picture and think everything else around my life is going going to go going going downward you know and what was it that encouraged you kind of first to start speaking publicly and doing public talks and 
interviews and that kind of thing. I guess it was the the fact that, as I said, this this pedestal like figure that I wouldn't have liked to see myself on. Um, that I then realized in hospital, you know, the positive effect that I have or could have on people, you know, whatever I say or do on social media or, or publicly, whatever it may be, it has an effect for other field than I really do think. And stemming from the first public speaking event that I was I was very, very nervous for. I was apprehensive putting my story out there in a bigger platform. And it was just, I guess, from the, the reception that I got from it. And, you know, as I, I mean it in the nice possible way, I got a massive buzz to for people coming up to me and saying, you know, you, you've you've made a massive change in my life. You've made me a lot more comfortable about thinking of speaking up. And I thought I was the only one going through. And a lot of things you said resonated with me. And from a selfish point of view, I guess, you know, I would have loved to have that back way back in 2011, 2012, 2013, when everything was going on for me for those couple of years. And I guess I'm trying to be that, you know, illuminating a path for people that there is hope there is a way out this is the path that i've taken and you can take that too you know so i guess um fr fr from that point of view I i've been very very proud and, and coming out publicly and, and will continue to do so and the feeling that you get that buzz is it is it a different feeling to when um you would have won kind of GAA matches? Is it a different kind of feeling? Yeah, it is. It was you know with with with, Ga with the Gaelic matches or whatever else. I guess it's a euphoric feeling. It's a it it, it is a it is a buzz. It's it's hard to I I guess explain. I would say the buzz that I feel with that people get from my talks or whatever it may be, is knowing the path that they could potentially be on now when they when they begin to speak up. And you know, visualizing that path that they may be on with the, with the matches, it's it's the there and then, it's the what I've trained so hard for for the you know last six, seven, eight months, whatever it may be for a penultimate game. But I guess they are on different levels, but with it with the, with the same feeling, I guess. And I seen as well that you're an ambassador for Pieta House. Yes. And how's yeah. that? Is it, it's it's fantastic, you know, the people people Pieta House obviously, um, they're well known around the country for the amount of work that, that, that they do and um it's a thankless task and only you know when I've um I've been in with them this past year I've seen the background kind of work that's been done and it's it's absolutely incredible and you know for me to be asked to be an ambassador and it, it was a hugely proud moment, you know, as I said, um I, I'm thankfully out the other side, as I said myself, my good and bad days. So I can resonate with people a lot more um a lot more now that that I've educated myself around the subject. So, to be an ambassador for Pieta House and to to be given that platform to to speak out publicly about my experiences has been um hugely hugely, I I would say humbling, uh over the last kind of six seven months as I've been with them. And if you were to give advice to someone who um is struggling, maybe confused, they don't really know what's going on, mm -hmm. and they're afraid to talk, what would kind of advice would you give to someone? I would actually say, you know, it, they're afraid to talk. I would say talk you know and it, the thing is when i say talk it's not about telling your whole story and th that's the thing for me if i strip it back to where i actually came from was actually sitting out my mom and dad in a flood of tears and i said look i'm not going through a, a, a very good time here and i didn't tell them a whole story you know I, I didn't have to and there was a thing of that was my stepping stone to rebuild in my life where i just said look i'm going through a difficult time and everything that had transpired from there has has been absolutely fantastic and, and i can tell you from first-hand experience that you know the path that i've taken even though it's been bumpy as it always will be and i won't shy away from the fact that it will be but i'm so glad i took that step you know if i look back to my story i wish i'd have spoken up sooner because i can see that path i'm out the other side and i'm i'm saying to people whether it be your mom and dad whether it be your best friend or 
uh, your coach or, or teacher, whoever it may be, whoever you can confide in and feel comfortable with, just saying something, just a, a small word, that can illuminate the path for you to to continue on, or sorry, to begin, I guess, a, a, a more fulfilling life than, the, than, they, than they are at this present moment in time. And what is in your future at the moment? What do you, what's happening in the next kind of year or so? Uh, in the next year, um, next next month, I'm actually going uh, to do uh, a master's in, in DCU. I'm studying uh, business management, just a year long. And at the minute, I'm about six months through uh, writing a book. Oh, unreal! Um, yeah, I've, I've I've actually teamed up with um, stemming from my blog. O'Brien's publishers got onto me about six or seven months ago, um, on the idea of of writing a, you know, a book around my whole story. And uh, you know, at the thought uh, at the thought of that, you know, thinking when I posted that blog, the last thing in my head was that I was going to be writing a book. You know, so I'm about six months through that. I'm hoping to be um, finished, all said and done, by about November. And um, I'm hoping then to, for it to be released maybe April sixteenth. The reason why April sixteenth would be it would mark six years to the day since I went uh, or went into hospital. So um, for me, that would be a hugely uh, humbling experience to, to think you know six years ago I was at the deepest and darkest point of my life and six years on I've released a book that will hopefully um you know help so much more people in this country and and further afield than that so uh, that's essentially where I'm at and even sporting wise I'm away from Dublin senior football at this particular moment and uh, I'm trying harder than ever and I'm, I'm hoping to get that call back if and when it comes in in January so um I'm 24 I'm young I'm I'm hungry and I'm uh, and I'm ready to go at the, ne- the next year and and beyond. Excellent. That all sounds really exciting. Thank you very much. We want to thank Shane for sharing his story and for playing a role in the conversations surrounding mental health illnesses. It's extremely important that we start this discussion and we continue it. Thanks so much for listening to Sevo Talks and tune in next time.